um, is the Word and Spirit, and it needs, needs a little bit of explanation first, because I know there are people here not sort of been uh, coming for a little while, and um, you just need to know what we're up to, and visitors this morning as well. And um, we've, um, we've actually put together a, a book, Beacon Church, entitled it Vision and Values. And um, in the book, um, it has what we as a church have a vision for. It also has the values which we believe that we should hold on to. The values are actually drawn out of the Bible itself, how uh, the New Testament um, puts together the life of Jesus in, in the Gospels. Um, but there are also letters, which the New Testament is made up of letters that a man called Paul wrote to different churches, explaining them how they should conduct themselves as a church and what they should do, what they shouldn't do. And um, one of the things is that church should be a place of order. A place should be a place where people experience different things. Church should be community. It should be where people get on well together, and sometimes they didn't. And sometimes in church they don't get on well together, and sometimes we don't get on well together. But it should be a place of community, and um, it should be a place of worship. Um, within this book, you won't find the section Word and Spirit together, um, but you will find it enclosed in, if I find it on page 6 here, um, Sorry, it's on page 7. That deals with the Holy Spirit first. It's on page 7. Um, it talks about um, the importance that the Word of God has in the place of the church today. Now, by Word of God, I probably need to explain what we mean by that. The Word of God is, is actually um, God's, the truth about God, the truth that God wants people to know, the truth which the world needs to know, Truth which is actually believable. You will find sometimes in the life of the church and also by insurance things that insurance companies give to you that things aren't believable sometimes. You find that? But when God gives us truth, it's believable. It means that the human mind can cons- has a concept of understanding it. But I am, I'm aware this morning that... Um, Not everybody has the same level of understanding. And some of the things we say on Sunday morning are sort of up here. You say, well, I really don't understand what we're saying. I mean, we've sung a word this morning, hallelujah. Does everybody know what that means? You saying you do, Ivan? (laughs) Was that a yes? (laughs) Did you hear him say, was it a yes? Anybody know what it means? Praise to Jehovah God. Praise to Jehovah God, what hallelujah means. And we're here we are singing hallelujah, and sometimes we don't know what we're singing about. And that happens very often. You come into church, we don't know what we're singing sometimes. Sometimes we actually sing things we don't really mean. That's a strange place to be, isn't it? A lot of our songs are written, you know, and it causes people to sing things we don't really think about and we don't really mean sometimes. But very often they're truth. Sometimes singing truth, which we haven't understood, actually imparts something to us. When we read the Bible, it imparts something to us. In a minute, I want to begin by looking about why the Bible is important and um, what there is in it, you know, that really, really brings life to us and helps us understand. 
There is a bit of a controversy amongst churches of which is the most important thing to dwell upon, either the Word of God or the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in a church. And in a sense, over the history tells us that churches have been divided and communities within individual churches have actually been divided on this issue, that the Word is most important, and with the preaching of the Word, like I'm doing now, has the preeminence. It should be the most important thing in church life is to preach from the Bible. And we have to agree is it's very important. But also is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit within the context of the church. And Paul would make that clear, which we'll come to a little bit later on. In other words, a church can be dying on its feet and you won't even know it. It will have no manifestation of the Holy Spirit within it and yet things will be going on where people do not recognise the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, things will still be happening. But really what we're saying by word and spirit is the fact that the authentic church will have or give, would give a place to both these aspects of the church, which is preaching of the word of God, which I'm doing now, and also the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Now the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, which we'll read later on, is really... Um, things that happen in a church which we don't understand and which may be very often supernatural. Things which come from outside of ourselves which are special. Things which we can't reproduce ourselves but things which say God is in it. God is there. I can see it. I know it. And even down to emotion, I feel it in here. I know that God is present. We had a lady come here many years ago, her name was Dulcie. She's an old lady, just lived along the road here. We know Sheila's smiling, all smiling. She just walked in here, knew that God was present, and gave her life to God, gave her life to Jesus. And from that day on, she came in that door with such a beam on her face each day. A lady with many troubles, but she knew that something was different. Church should be a place like that. You know, where people are welcomed. You say, that welcome's different <laughs> this morning. Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Do we present Jesus as he really is? Right, first of all, I just want to um, give a little indication of why we believe the Bible is important, because I just want to try and put these two, two together. We know why the booklet's been put together, because we believe in this book we have a vision as a church. That's what we want to be like. That's where we're going. We put in their values. You say, this is important. And those values come out of the Bible itself. That's what we want to see happening. And we've said in there, somewhere in this book, that both these things are important. The Word of God, the Bible, the truth of God is so important, we need to go by that. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit is also important too. When the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, things were so different than they had been in the past. They saw different things happening. And people were saying, what's happening? We haven't seen this before. It was different. And so that's what I want to try and put together this morning. First point, pursuing faithfulness to the Word of God. What does the Word tell us itself? 
It's by divine inspiration. And what do I mean by that? Whatever in, is in this book, the Bible, can reliably source to the express intervention of God himself. There's this verse, which we read, holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That tells us that the Bible itself, although it's made up of lots of books, and it's made up of letters, and it's made up of history, it was put together by one source, and that's the Holy Spirit of God. Now, that doesn't mean to say that men had pens and they're saying, God, show me what to write. I don't know what to write. What shall I write today? No. These are men, firstly, who'd come to relationship with God. They had a passion for God. They knew in their spirit that God was real. They celebrated God in their lives and they knew how real it was to be a believer, a follower of God. And because of what was in them, they wrote it down. They put it to paper. So was the passion. They they knew that God was real. Do you know that God is real? Maybe you have a doubt this morning. I don't know. But could you write down really something that you know about God? I know many of you could, but maybe you couldn't. Maybe you couldn't put pen to paper and say, I believe God is real because... The Bible tells us holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so at the outset, we're saying that the Word and Spirit are actually together in this sense that God is spirit and he caused people to write down on paper so that we today could read what went on. That's how the Bible is uniquely put together, so that that's by divine inspiration. Holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, we read this word. When Jesus came... He then became God's way of communicating to the peoples of the world as a final act of intention to both warn and rescue any who would be warned and rescued. I said holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. When we come over to the New Testament, we read that God, in various ways and at various times, spoke by the prophets and the holy men in the past. Then he says, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So in essence, the God, the message that was recorded so wonderfully in words and passion and understanding, now can be understood in Jesus. Jesus is called the word of life. Jesus is... The way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said that. And so he actually affirmed, here's an easier way of understanding. Here's God's way of now interpreting all that he was trying to get across to the world in the most perfect way that ever he could. The best message we'd ever had. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. It's the best message we've ever had. We read that Jesus was powerful both in word and deed. So Jesus was a man, 
He was powerful in word and deed. So that when people looked at him, they could see, here's a man saying something, but he's also doing something. And these two things go well together, because what he says matches what he does. And people weren't confused with that. People understood, here's a man that was different. That's why they sat and listened to him, because he was so different. Luke, as he writes to a book called The Acts, The Acts of the Apostles, um, it's a recording of the things that happened after the Holy Spirit came, and the church began and moved on from there. And Luke says, in my earlier book, he was talking about Luke's gospel, this is in Acts, and he wrote in Luke, in my earlier book, he wrote, I wrote of all the things that Jesus began both to do and to teach. He puts the two together. And because Jesus was powerful in word and deed, what he said was actually backed up by what he did. Now, we would probably know a modern word would put to that as a word that's very often leveled at the church. They're all hypocrites in there. They don't actually do what they say. Now, that's quite a common, that's a common uh, thing that people say about the church. They're all hypocrites in there. They don't do what they say. But in actual fact, it's a, it's a fault of the world itself. We're all guilty of that because in ourselves, we're not able always to do what we say. Even though we may have ideals, things we really want to do, we're not always able to actually achieve what we want to do, and we're not always able to do what's right. But with Jesus, that wasn't true, because he always did what he said, and his actions matched up to his words. That's why he was powerful in word and deed. So going back to Hebrews 1, the writer there says, God spoke in the past in various ways and at various times, but now he's actually speaking to us by his son. And if someone speaks, we need to listen. We need to listen what he's saying. We need to listen what his life is saying. We need to listen to what he did and where he is now. We need to be listeners and hearers of those actual things. We've looked at the existence of the word. It's now through Jesus. We need to think about its authority. So how authoritative is this book that we have here? And I just want to go through a few things. There are two sections of the Bible made up of the scriptures. That's the, what we call the Old Testament and the New Testament. In a sense, they're different, but they complement each other. That is what we call the Bible. The Bible is trustworthy for faith and for conduct. All scripture, this is found in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, it's talking about, it says scripture there, but we would take it, I mean, that was written when probably a lot of the New Testament wasn't written. And he was saying, really, the Old Testament is useful for all these things. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, 
correcting and training in righteousness. So when we come to church, we're a bunch of people who need God's help. We, we had a girl working for us many years ago. I told this the other day, but we had a girl working for us. She said, I could never become a Christian because I'm not good enough. That's the wrong way round. We become Christians because we're not good enough. And we come here to church because we're not good enough and because we need the grace of God on our lives. So don't get into that mindset. You know, I can't be a Christian because I'm not good enough. Come to that a little bit later on. So the book is trustworthy for faith and conduct. The book records promises that God gives to mankind. The book records promises that God gives to mankind. Promises like, my God will supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. We know a God who's actually involved in looking after us and keeping us and providing for our needs. Talks about God counting the hairs of our head, that they're all numbered. Have you counted your hairs today, Nick? No. Anybody counted the hairs today? We're not even bothered that much about ourselves, are we? Give a few combs. Now we lose a few each day and we gain a few. That constant surveillance on our lives of God's goodness. The very hairs of our head are numbered. Wow, what a God. Is it Carl who said last week, God is awesome? Absolutely. God is awesome. It records promises that God gives to us, to mankind. And what is a promise? Mm. You ever said, you know, your child, I promise you? And then the child comes back and said, Dad, you promised? He said, I promised. I promised to do that for you. I promised to give it to you. Now, we make promises that we can't keep sometimes. That's part of life. That's just the way it works out. We really want to keep promises sometimes, but we can't always keep them. You know, but God keeps his promises. God would have never given a promise if he never intended to keep it. Because his word, the Bible tells us, is sure. The Bible tells us God's word is sure. So if God gives us a promise, he will keep it. What was it that happened in the sky after the flood? God put a rainbow in the sky. He said, seed time and harvest will continue. When you see the rainbow, remember my promise. The Bible's full of promises. So the book, it's authority, it's trustworthy for faith and conduct. It records promises that God gives to mankind. Do you know this book dispels fears? You're afraid. You sometimes wake up in the night afraid. I do occasionally. I'm sure some people do. You know, maybe you, you go flying, you get fear. We go to the dentist. And they're all fears of life. And we have to experience the fear first for God to give his peace afterwards. <laughs> That's important, isn't it? God doesn't take away the fear. But sometimes we're afraid. And God gives us promises as to give us peace in that situation. And he does that. So the book dispels fears of life. 
It gives guidance for all situations of life. It was King David who said, your word, your word, or the truth he knew about God, whether it was written down or not, he said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Isn't that wonderful? God gives us guidance in life. So this book will give us guidance in life. Lexi? Yeah, I know you're waiting for some food. It'll come. God gives us guidance in life. If only we want to take it. You know? Your word is a lamp to my feet. That's where I am now. And a light to my path to see where I'm going. And that may take in plans of our lives. It might say where we're going to live in the future. What job am I going to do in the future? What person am I going to marry? What will be my end? What happens after death? The path of life. Your word is a lamp to my feet. It helps me understand where I am in life now. And it also gives me guidance for the future. It unfolds the path ahead. So I commend, as they say when they've given the budget, I commend this book to the house. I commend my speech to the house. It's authority, guidance for life. A couple more things. It establishes the truths on which beliefs can be made which we call a sure foundation for faith. So this Bible gives us truths, all right, upon what beliefs can be made, which we call faith. It's a wonderful book. God loves his book. He put it together. He wants us to love it too. It also enables the pursuit of righteousness. Again in Timothy, it says, From infancy, here's infancy, From infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I want to come to that later. But this book is able to make people wise for salvation without any other intervention whatsoever. Having been a member of the Gideons in the past, we saw many testimonies of people become Christians and born again purely because of this book, with no outside intervention whatsoever. Because there is life in this book. When I used to go into the schools, I used to take two little black bits with me and one was a stone and one was a seed. They both looked the same, but in one there was life. You planted it in the ground, it would grow up into something. The other you could put in the ground and nothing would happen. (laughs) It was like that. This book has life in itself and it's all because of Jesus. The enduring mandate for all things cosmic. Oh, what are you saying there? It says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This book, the truth, that's what I'm talking about, the truth that's in this book will not pass away. Heaven and earth may pass away, 
how we see it. And David said, your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. It stands firm in the heavens. It's an enduring mandate for all things cosmic. Right? It won't pass away. It's there. And yet sometimes it gets thrown away. The man who lived in Beltinge, and he was a dustman, and he was collecting the bins one morning, and in the top of the sack was a little red book, which he thought, oh, that shouldn't be in there, and he just picked it out. He took it home, he read it, he became a Christian, purely through reading the book. He thought to himself, I don't think they should throw that away, and yet through it, there was life for him. His whole life changed because of that. Another story about, um, it was in Ecuador, and it was in a restaurant kitchen, and um, in there, dogs run in and out, you know, things like things that happen there that don't happen there, sort of thing, you know. And the dog went in the kitchen, and he picked up something greasy and ran off with it. And um, down the road, there was a chap working in the field, and he thought the dog was carrying a wallet. And so he threw a stone at the dog. And then he ran after the dog, and he got what was in the dog's mouth. And it was actually a Bible covered in grease and fat from the kitchen. That man never had a Bible before, opened it, and he became a Christian because he read what was in it. What was it we read just now? From infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So this is book, is your life, or your death I might say. Choose life, it says, choose life, because here you will find Jesus, find him as your saviour. The first thing I want to say about bringing the word together is, is in that verse the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make us wise unto salvation. The Word and the Spirit belong together. Would you like to open your Bibles if you've got one and you want to follow it? You don't have to. In John 3. Now, John's in the New Testament. I haven't got the church Bible here, so I can't give you a page number. Now, before I start reading... The Bible itself actually gives different descriptions of what it is to become a Christian. In some places you might read becoming a Christian is actually being saved. And the idea behind that is that God rescues us. God rescues us and gives us eternal life. He rescues us from paths of, of, in life which could be destructive to us. He rescues us in the sense eternally that he saves us from our sin and gives us eternal life. But the idea behind the word saved is that when we become a Christian, God has rescued us. 
Now, you can't imagine that if we threw out um, one of these life belts and someone was drowning and you threw out the life belt into the sea, they say, no thanks, I'll just drown here. No, you wouldn't, would you? But it's like that. The idea is that when we become a Christian, God rescues us. He's thrown us a life belt. He's thrown us the means to take hold of and be saved. That's a big word, and it needs expanding, but I'm not going to do that now. Another word used is converted. Did you know you can be converted to Christianity and not become a Christian? You will hear sometimes in the paper about different people of, that we know quite well. They've converted from either being a Catholic to becoming a Baptist or a Baptist to being a Muslim or a Baptist, as one lady in Hernbay has converted from being a Baptist to being Jehovah's Witnesses. And you convert, convert like that. It is possible to see an ideology in Christianity that you like so much that you want to follow it, and you can convert from something to Christianity because it's an ideology rather than to become a Christian. And it's where the Word and the Spirit come into play. The Bible gives us all the truth that we need to become a Christian, but unless something happens within us, we're born again, which is the word that's used in this story we're going to read, It's a word used to describe becoming a Christian. It's called born again. It's when something miraculous happens in our lives. The only way I can explain it is that um, when baby Jesus was conceived in Mary, it was conceived of the Holy Spirit without a man involved. She was a virgin, we know that, do we? That's a Bible, we call a Bible doctrine, a teaching, think that we understand. She was a virgin and she had a child. And that child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So some life was conceived in Mary by something outside of men and women. God did it. All right? And when we become a Christian, a true Christian, God does something. He does something in our life. And it's called being born again of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to read about in this story. John chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can a man be born when he's old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Or in other words, I tell you plainly, Nicodemus, unless a man is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus. 
and you do not understand these things. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Jesus is talking about to Nicodemus. Now, here's Nicodemus. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council. He's a Pharisee. His name is Nicodemus, and he's a high flyer. He's a high flyer. He wouldn't be in his position if he'd not done well and if he didn't know his Bible he didn't know the scriptures. He was there because of that. That's why he was there. Tradition tells us he was also in charge of the water supply to the temple, so he's called a plumber as well, right? But then Jesus was a carpenter, so that doesn't matter. But here's Nicodemus. Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, you're in Israel's teacher, and you do not understand this. Now, there's a place of misunderstanding here, in our world, misunderstanding it's like this, like I said earlier. If I do the best I can, I might get there. If I know more, if I understand more, I will get there. If I do more, I will get there and God will accept me. Not true. It's not like that. It's I need a saviour I need God's Holy Spirit to take control of my life. I give my life to God. Now, you can't do that on your own. It's a bit like this, driving along in the car, and all of a sudden you say, I need to make a U-turn. So you turn the car right the way around and start going the other way, and immediately you're faced with the traffic lights, which says stop. You're at crossroads, that's why. But spiritually speaking, what I'm saying here is when you feel there's a need to turn to God, you do turn around, but you're faced with a stop sign because you're at crossroads. But you're also at another place spiritually, and it's the place where the cross of Jesus is presented to us. And it says to us, this is what Jesus did for you. You cannot... Be prepared to move on. You cannot even go unless you deal with what Christ did for you on the cross. It's called becoming a Christian. And in here, the same thing happens. Here's a man who's a Jew. He's one of God's special people. He's ethnically exclusive because God gave his oracles and his words to the Jewish people. Special, very special man but he needed to be born again. And Jesus says that to him. Despite all the understanding you've got, Nicodemus, despite where you are now, you want need to submit to the authority of the word of God. You need to be born again of God's Holy Spirit. And when we become a Christian, essentially, right on the bottom line, what we're actually doing is submitting to the authority of this book, what it says. We're agreeing with what it says. And what does it say? It tells me I'm a sinner, that I can do nothing about my life for salvation, and it tells me that Jesus can do something about it, and he's done it, and I accept it. And we cannot move on until we get to that point. 
And when we find Jesus as our saviour, that's when it happens. It's the moment which Jesus says to Nicodemus, you'll be born from above. God does a supernatural work in us that nobody else can do. Got your Bible, just turn back a page or two to chapter 1. verse 12. To put it in context, it's telling us how important and great Jesus is and that he's the creator of the earth and that he came to the earth specifically for the purpose of saving people. And in the context of that, it's saying in verse 12, yet to all who received him, that is the crucified Jesus, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right or the power to become children of God. That's a supernatural work. That's not my choice. In a sense, it's not done by my choosing. It's done by my submission to the authority of God's truth. That is on the bottom line. We have seen that the Bible contains something which is something that I can believe in, I can trust fully. And I can tell you today, having been a Christian now since I was eight, and I can't count up the years at this moment of time, but it's the best choice you can ever make. It's the best thing you can ever do. It's the best thing that God will ever do for you. It's to receive Jesus as Saviour into your life. And you've got the opportunity today. You can do it at the end of this service. You can do it when you go home. It doesn't matter where you are. You can just say in your heart, Lord Jesus... I just come to the point, I I know I can't do it myself, but I can see that he did it for me. When Jesus died for me, he died for your sin, he died to set you free, he died to give you new life, and also that we might experience resurrection. You say, I don't want to experience that. But Jesus was raised from the dead. It doesn't matter if my body dies here, the Bible tells us that everybody's going to be raised from the dead one day. Some will face God and he said, well, no, you didn't. You chose not to accept my son Jesus. So there's no way forward. The right, light is still red. You just can't move on. But with Jesus as our saviour, Jesus said, come, enjoy my presence, enjoy all that I have for you, in the future. This is what we call the power of the word and the spirit working together. Yeah? We talk about the word, the Bible, and we can convert to Christianity as a means of ideology. Not idolatry. (laughs) Ideology. We can follow its principles. Not hurt our neighbour. That's a common thing you hear, but I haven't hurt anyone. It doesn't matter. It's not about you hurting your neighbour. That's special, but it's about receiving Jesus. It's about receiving him as my saviour, bowing to the authority, submitting to the authority of God's word. Becoming a Christian defies natural explanation because it is by faith. I believe in something that Jesus has done for me, believing what God says. Very quickly, 
the power of the word and the spirit together. In Galatians 5, you will read, when we become Christians, we, we get the, life becomes more difficult sometimes. It takes on new dimensions. Now, put it like this. Sadness is a thing that everybody experiences. But sometimes sadness seems at a deeper level because we're, more in, we're in touch with the spiritual God. Our spirits have been enabled and enlivened. Sometimes sadness becomes a deeper thing to endure. But also, joy and happiness becomes greater. As Fred always used to say, happiness depends on happenings. You know, you have to keep doing things to keep you happy. But joy is in here. And joy is something that God gives us. That even though things may get difficult in this life, we face all sorts of things, joy is still there. Something which, say, God's in charge. My future is secure. I know I'm a believer in Jesus. He's done it all for me. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. It talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It's about character. Becoming a Christian is not only about being saved, being born again of the Holy Spirit, it's about my character changing too. So that we find that um, people who now can't control their drink problem find that they've got power over that. People who who really want to give up smoking, they've tried for ages, now find they've got a power to pursue giving up. God puts that power within The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, different things, depends which version you read there. But it's something that God gives to us and enables us to be, the fruit of the Spirit. I won't read it, but you can read it in 1 Corinthians 12, talks about the manifestation of the Spirit. In the context of the church, it talks, Paul says, now the manifestation of the Spirit is... So he's here, he looks at the church, he writes to the church, he sees that things are not quite as they should be, there's a little bit of disorder in the church. And uh, he said, but the manifestation of the Spirit is seen. And it talks about miracles as being a gift, the, the ability to perform miracles. You ever thought of yourself performing a miracle? Carl spoke last week about a man whose four places in his leg were healed by prayer. God expects his church to be miracle-minded. God expects his church to be strong-faith-minded. Acts of faith. It talks there about acts of faith. You know, you look at someone, you say, well, my faith's not like their faith, and that's how it will be, because God has someone given someone a gift of faith to believe what God has said and to follow through with it. I mean, would you go home and give all your money away? No? Some of those people in Acts did. They sold all their possessions so that the poor might be fed. Would you do that? Would I do it? Probably not. But that's a a gift of faith to believe that God would provide their needs after they got rid of all their possessions. I think we've got a long way to go, don't you? The manifestation of the Spirit. The Word and the Spirit working together. I've gone on far too long. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you so much for your love towards us that you gave Jesus to be our saviour. 
God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Jesus. Let's believe that God's given you the opportunity to respond to him now in your heart. If you want to say this prayer after me in your heart, then you can do that, but please tell someone afterwards if you've done it. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or anything like that. Lord Jesus, thank you for the truth that you've shown me today which tells me I'm loved by you and that you showed it by sending Jesus to be my saviour. I realise that I could never do it myself (coughs) and my sin is so great that Jesus took it on himself. And I accept what he did for me. Now, Lord Jesus, come into my life and be my saviour. Be my Lord. I receive you now. In his wonderful name. Amen. Okay, thank you for listening. It's time just to have a coffee, but we're still here for prayer. And uh, if you just want to share anything with us, that's fine. We're willing to listen to pray for you. Thank you.